This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. Jupiter's third largest moon, Callisto. He's 98 booming with a trunk of funk. All the jealous punks can't stop his dunk. He's your host, Icy Robots. Greetings, Earth people. I am from Jupiter. It is me again, Icy Robots. I am not a hero, but I do sacrifice a bit of my week each and every week to make your week a bit less weak. And this week, I think it's going to get. I think it's going to get a lot less weak. We are going to talk about a. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of movies I saw. We're going to talk about Planet of the Apes. We're going to do a bunch of fun, super cool stuff. And I think that, I think that you're going to enjoy it overall. I don't I don't see why you wouldn't. So uh, without further ado, let's get going into the program. Let's start off with a bit of a tune that Engineer Emily and the intern from over in uh, Instant Rather in Pod B made. Let's uh, see if I can find it here. I should have had this. Should have had it booted up and ready to go. All right, hit it. <laughs> This is Stone Cold Rhyming, no frills, no fluff, and it's no accident that these rhymes sound tough. We're going off, baby, there's no turning back. We're on your TV, laser disc, cassette, and eight track. And when the show is finally finished, we'll be taking a bow. Because this is Ice like Robots Radio, and we've got no how. That was great. Uh, Emily, Ensign, you guys, you guys did great, man. That, of course, was a, uh, this is a takeoff on Know How by Young MC. That is my favorite of, like, all the Young MC jams, seriously, and it was just, it was just in Baby Driver, and it really, like, came back to the forefront, I guess, of everybody's, uh, everybody's consciousness. One time, we were, we were, like, at, uh, what's it called? Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, and I was, I was a youth this was back in the, uh, back in the days of my youth, and I was there with, uh, I was there with my folks, and we were walking out, and as we were doing that, I, I looked over, and I saw a big crowd of people, and I'm like, what is, what's everybody gathering around to see? There's a lot of things that could be over there. There's, like, those dudes who paint themselves silver, and they stand really still, and there's, like, all sorts of dudes playing various instruments, and it's, you know, it's that kind of a place, but I, I was a kid, and I was curious what the crowd was about, so I kind of, like, looked over there, and I saw it was Young MC himself. Marvin Young was over there, like, in the middle of everybody, and he was being gracious. You know, everybody's, like, saying what's up to him. This was, uh, this was at the peak of his fame, and he had, like, a giant entourage with him. All these dudes in, like, funky, fresh hip-hop gear, you know, Kangol hats, like, big rope chains, and 
they were all there with Marvin Young, and it was, it was pretty cool to see him, and I still remember to the day, like, the size of the crowd, people were just, they were all over the dude, I guess, you know, he had, like, a hit song, and he had a, uh, hit tape out at the time, and it was cool, man, it was cool to see him, and it's something I will never forget, I guess. I, I actually bought the Young MC cassette the other day, the Stone Cold Ryman, his first tape, it has Bust a Move, and it has, has that song, it's, Kind of a uh, hip-hop classic of sorts. He was he was a bit pop, you know, at the time. But dude had dude had crazy skills. He was a good writer. He could rhyme fast. He could rhyme slow. He he wrote songs for other people. I think I think that he did some writing for uh, Run off uh, Run DMC. I as far as that goes, I know that DMC was the he was the more prolific writer of the two. He definitely wrote all of his rhymes, and he also wrote. He wrote a lot of Run's rhymes, but Run was, Run was the star. Dude had the voice, dude had the personality. He was really, he was really the one that, you know, put the, uh, the topper on the cake that was Run DMC, but DMC was the everyman. You know, he had this slow way of rhyming that we could all, we could all relate to. We could all understand everything he said, and we could all relate to his, uh, rhymes. And dude wore glasses, and that made him, like, more of an everyman than Run, but Run had the star aura. But when you look at it, DMC was the the bigger talent of the group, in my opinion. But, you know, that's open to debate. And I, I really respect the way the DMC's kept himself out of the limelight. And when you see Dude, he looks, you know, good and healthy nowadays. He doesn't do silly things. Run has kind of tarnished his reputation with the whole... Uh, Reverend Run persona, but that's, that's also just my opinion, but I think that going from the most groundbreaking rap group of all the time, they're the ones that, like, they laid the golden spike of the new school and set everything in motion that we, we have today, which is either, you know, good or bad, and to, uh, go from that sort of, sort of a groundbreaking character to being, like, a reality star preacher, I don't know, it's not, it's not how I would like my career to go, and I appreciate that DMC has kept himself away from that kind of stuff, but Run has always seemed like the kind of dude who, he, you know, he needs attention, and the attention has led him to that, but I don't know, maybe his work as a reverend has helped people, so let's, let's give him credit for that. Right now, right now we are lucky to have another visit from the dude himself. He's agreed to come back on the show, very gracious. He's the guy, he's a dude known as, a. Uh, Iceberg 13. Greetings. I am here. What is it that you wanted to talk about? I haven't got all day. I have many things to do. Oh yeah, word? Sorry. Like what? Like what, uh, what do you have to do? Like what? Like many things that are my business and are not to be discussed on the air as if anyone listens to this troll drivel. Dude, don't be like that. Tons of people listen to this droll drivel. I just just wanted to have you on the air, man, and I wanted to, I wanted to, like, clear the air in regards to the, uh, to the A.B. Silver thing. Dude, you know that we, we're here for you, and we understand that you're upset, and we understand that you're in, in mourning, and that you've taken this hard. I don't want you to think that we're, we're making light of the, of, of, of your feelings. You are making light of it. You do not care that he has died. As a matter of fact, you are probably happy that he is dead. You never respected his talent. He was only trying to help you to make a better show. You should have been honored that he would even sink so low as to help someone the likes of you. 
someone the likes of me. Iceberg, I thought that we were friends. I really thought that we were, really thought that we were tight. And when AB Silver came on, you just, you threw me under the bus. And I don't think at all that he was trying to help make the show better. I think that he was trying to take the show away from me. And I don't know, I don't know why he would even want to do that. It's so weird to me that he just, he didn't seem like a nice person to me, Iceberg. I... I felt bad that I felt bad that you were you were spending so much time with him and that you seemed to be on his side. It's I don't know, man. I, I I to be honest, I can't say that I'm sad to have seen him go. I cannot believe that you would say that, but I am glad that you have finally admitted the truth. You wanted him gone because you were jealous of our friendship. You disgust me. Iceberg, I wasn't jealous of your friendship. I was sad. To see you palling around with somebody who seemed like such a creep. The guy just, he seemed like a creep. Those, those corporate types. I just, I can't trust them, Iceberg. And it hurt me to see you with him. I felt like, I felt like he wasn't being honest with you. I don't think that, I don't think his feelings for you were true. I think that, I think that he was using you to try to get at me. You think that the entire planet Jupiter revolves around you. Let me tell you something. It does not. AB and I were friends because we shared similar interests. Oh yeah? Like what? Like what? Like the theater? We both love musicals like Hamilton and Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Oh, you saw that Spider-Man musical? How was that? It was okay. Not as good as I hoped, but it was okay. Yeah, I I don't know, man. It did seem cool. I would I would like to have seen that, but you know, I was I wasn't invited. Not to not to be passive aggressive or anything, but it, you know, it's like if you guys would have invited me to go see Hamilton or Spider Man, I would have I would have gone with you. It's not like it's not like you had to leave me out of everything, Iceberg. We did have to leave you out. Pooptronics only provided a B with three company tickets, so you had to stay behind. Dude, if you had three tickets, I could have gone. There was only two of you. No, we had to use the third ticket as a buffer seat between us and the flesh bag in the next seat. Well, then you would need four seats, dude. There'd be flesh bags on both sides of you. We sat on the aisle. Oh, you sat on the aisle. Uh, which one of you two got the outside seat? Me. I like to be able to stretch my legs. Yeah, me too, dude. I always like to sit on the aisle too. I I like to stick my legs out into into the walkway. I, I need to stretch them out. So at any rate, Iceberg, thanks for being on the show. As always, it's a pleasure to have you and uh come back anytime. I'm glad that we were able to we were able to work some of this out. It's it's just nice to talk to you on a nice personal level. Thank you for inviting me on. Anything I can do to keep AB's memory alive is a good use of my time. Good day. In a moment, at the movies, without Ebert, Siskel, or even that dude Roper. But you got Icy Robot, so that's something, right? ourselves on the eve of a battle against these beasts and years from now you can tell your children I fought to protect this world this is our last stand and if we lose it will be 
planet of apes. War for the Planet of the Apes, July 14th. We saw uh, Planet of the Apes this past Saturday. I I really like Planet of the Apes. I'm a big fan of the original series. I have seen all the movies. I think they're really great. I'm not the kind of guy who can go and like give you all the trivia from, you know, the filming and all that stuff. But I, I definitely do enjoy them. I think that they are a lot of fun. I, I'm into the apes. I've read the original book. I have some Mego apes. And I, uh, I didn't like this movie very much. And... It seems as if the general consensus is that people are really enjoying this movie, but I, I don't know, man. I was not into it, and I, I feel there are a lot of reasons why I just didn't dig it all that much. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about them right now. The, the basic idea of this is that it is the third in what we could call the trilogy of Caesar. The story that begins, you know, Caesar being, you know, hit with the potion. That turns him and all the other apes intelligent all the way through, you know, the revolution of the apes and now the point where we are at the war, the final battle between man and ape for control of control of Earth, more like control of the Northern California, maybe maybe Lake Tahoe region, but it does seem that the people who are there may be, they may be humanity's last stand. The story starts off with there is a group of soldiers that is led by the colonel who is played by Woody Harrelson. These are the soldiers that you hear coming in the in the end of the last movie. They are here and I wouldn't say they have the apes on the run, but the people are definitely hunting the apes. Caesar Caesar's gone on to be sort of a mythic figure. The the people who are after him aren't even sure if he really exists anymore. They're not even they're not even overly sure if he ever existed. He hasn't been seen in many years. He's been with the apes hidden deep within the forest, but the colonel is determined to the colonel is determined to flush him out, and eventually they do. There is there are some battles and the the apes get uh they get taken prisoner by man and eventually, you know, the story goes from there. The movie is, in my opinion, very adult-themed. There is war. There is the drudgery and the terror of war. There is, there is crucifixions. There are torture. There is murder and suicide. It is a very adult-oriented movie, and that is broken up by a, uh, by a character played by Steve Zahn. That comes out of nowhere and starts adding like a lot of lighthearted comedy to the movie. It would be as if it would be as if all of a sudden Jar Jar Binks popped up in Saving Private Ryan. The movie is very dark, and I wouldn't say that it is disturbing, but it is very violent. And then all of a sudden, Steve Zahn comes and starts bebopping around the movie, and that was um that was one of the main things that I had against it, I guess. But it's not really, like, the main thing. The main thing was that, to me, the movie was, like, the opposite of what I, of what I expected. In seeing the trailers and the ads on TV, I, I felt like Woody Harrelson's Colonel was going to be the main character, if not the main character. I realized that this is... This is all about Caesar, but I did think that Woody Harrelson and his army troop were going to... I thought that they were going to have, I don't know, 
maybe like a 40-60 split with Caesar. I thought that we would see a lot from from their perspective, but we don't get we don't get hardly anything and that's not necessarily a big deal, but the story is told from the perspective of it's told from the perspective of the apes, which is a uh, which is all good too, but when I go and I see the apes, I am more I myself am more on the side of like Heston and the people and I want to see them prevail over the apes, but the tone of this movie is that you're led to want to see the apes prevail over the people. And I know that this is the Caesar trilogy, but I don't get, like, a ton of enjoyment from watching the other guys smash on my guys. Now, I realize that the apes are, like, the sympathetic characters, and in this, the army guys are a bunch of loons, and that it turns out that you know, they're not, like, the nicest dudes around. I understand that the apes are the good guys in that sense. But even with the people being super mean, I still kind of want them to win because I don't want to go to the future that Heston was in where people are, you know, kept in pins and they have stuffed people in museums and stuff. I don't want to see that happen. That's not cool to me. I want, I want to see, like... If not the people winning, which I realize cannot happen, the future is the Planet of the Apes, but I would like to have seen a story that was more from the perspective of apes and people are both fighting to survive, and they both want to survive, and neither one is really good, and neither one is really bad. It's just, it's either you or me. I think that that is, I think it's a deeper story than the one that we got, which was the apes are really good that Caesar is very compassionate, and if you just leave him alone, the apes will stop the war, and the people are, are maniacs. You do find out a reason that they do need to wipe out the apes, so it isn't, like, a completely one-sided story, but it, for a lot of it, it's basically, like, the apes are really good, the people are really bad, and I can dig it. It's all about the Caesar story, but I would have liked to seen a more even-handed story than the story we got, and it just, it just didn't do it for me in that sense. I have, like, a real hard time rooting for the apes to, like, kill the people, and a lot of it is the apes killing the people, and that's just, to me, that's not like a, that's like a horror movie, honestly, that the apes are killing all the guys. Every time I would see, like, a soldier get murked, I sort of thought, that guy, to, like, some degree, represents me, and the ape represents the new, somewhat more higher-evolved species that is coming around to destroy me, and I just had a hard time getting behind it. I didn't, I didn't feel the story, but with all that said, the effects are really good, and Andy Serkis is completely amazing as Caesar. You gotta... You gotta really get in there and sell that character, and he does sell him to the point that you completely believe that this cartoon ape is a sympathetic character. The the ape technology is not, like, all the way there yet, but it's definitely getting there. The effects are really spectacular, except for, like, a few instances. There's, like, a white ape 
that you see in the daylight and it does look kind of cartoony. A lot of times you're looking right in the face of uh, these apes and you can believe completely that it's like a real walking, talking ape. It's a little unnerving. I myself, I'm old school. I don't mind like costumes. Not, I'm not saying that the Tim Burton ape movies were all that great because I don't think they were, but I did... I did like the idea that you had people in like costumes, ape, ape costumes. It gives the gives the thing like a feeling of reality that it's just that's not there with um you know the CGI apes. I realize that Andy Circus is you know on the set acting and that you know they're putting the apes over him, but you're not looking at an ape. You're looking at you know Andy Circus with a bunch of like white balls attached to his costume. So you don't have like the same feeling that you get as if you're looking at, you know, Michael Clark Duncan in, like, this very realistic, you know, ape uniform wearing armor with weapons. You know, that's going to you're gonna look that in the face and you're going to get, like, a whole different feel. You're going to give a whole different performance than it is if you're looking at Andy Serkis with a, in a blue bodysuit with a bunch of tennis balls taped to it. But I, uh, overall, the, just the weird, like, politics of the movie sort of threw me off and this... This Steve Zahn character, I think that Steve Zahn is a terrific actor, but the character he played in this movie was just so out of place. Like, I'm sitting here and I'm watching the movie, and there are all these, like, really distressing things happening. There's apes dying left and right, there are people dying left and right, in really, really violent manner, and this was, this was like a particularly hot day here in Santa Rosa, so the, uh, the theater was packed with people, and... The Apes is kind of a, you know, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's like a family thing, but it is to some degree like a family thing. And you're watching like crucifixions and torture. And then all of a sudden this, the Steve Zahn ape appears and kids start laughing hysterically. Like, like kids do when Jar Jar Binks enters the sector. And it wasn't up until that point I even like realized there were a bunch of kids there. And I'm just like, man, this movie is not for kids, and I understand, like, an ape movie is sort of for families, but this one is very dark, and it's weird to make a movie that is so dark and still put the Jar Jar Binks character in there. It was really, it really threw me off overall. I, I don't know. I, for, like, a lot of the performances and for a lot of the technical stuff, I think that the movie rates higher than it would have normally, but I, I can't do better than giving it, like, a, uh, on the good old-fashioned source meter with one being a dud and five being an all-time classic, it's 2.5 mics. 2.5 mics. I've been dating this girl. She's white. A white girl? Okay. We hate terrorists. Is your bad man? I'm looking for Emily Gardner. She was checked in tonight. You should call her family. Is that lady still looking at me? Who that could be. I'm guessing it's a young single Pakistani woman. For your files, your X files, the truth is out there. <laughs> I think I'll make tea. Actually, I'll open a bottle of wine. Does Emily have whiskey? The Big Sick, rated R, starts June 23rd. The uh, second movie we saw this week was The Big Sick, which stars Kumal Nanjani and. Holly Hunter and Zoe Kazan. This movie, this movie was really great. I enjoyed it quite a lot. It was written by Kumal Nanjani, who you might know from, you might know him from Silicon Valley. He is one of the coders that works over at Pied Piper. He's been in a bunch of movies. Dude is 
dude is super funny and he wrote this movie based on his real life experiences in getting together with the woman who is now his wife. The The story starts off with them meeting and courting and the relationship doesn't work out because Kumal is Pakistani and his family wants him to... They want him to marry a Pakistani girl and Zoe Kazan is not is not a Pakistani girl, so that ends their relationship. But soon afterwards, Emily, that's her name in the movie, catches a well, I don't think you catch it. She gets a she gets a virus, an eternal virus, and the hospital has to put her into a medically induced coma, and the only people that her friends know to get a hold of is is Kumal, and even though they're broken up, he still cares about her, and he comes he comes to the hospital, and he stays at her side until her parents, played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter, the delightful national treasure Holly Hunter, come, and at first, they, at first, they spurn him. They try to send him on his way because she had her heart broken by him. You know, she wanted to she wanted to go forward with their relationship and she was saddened that there was this cultural difference between them and her her parents you know accordingly they don't uh they don't like Kamal but he stays and he feels he feels an obligation to be at her side because he didn't so much want to he didn't so much want to break up with her as his culture wanted to break up with her and over time they come they come to accept him and you know the things go from there. This movie is produced by Judd Apatow, and this has the feelings of an Apatow movie in that it is, it's a drama about comedians disguised as a comedy. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of funny zingers in this movie, and there are a lot of funny things, but it is in reality a heartfelt love story, and on that level, it it succeeds quite well, but it does have that Judd Apatow feeling to it, and I myself, I'm not like I'm not like the biggest Judd Apatow fan in the world. I think his I think his movies tend to go too long, and I think that I think that they don't reflect a reality that is a real reality for people. I think it's a reality of somebody who's in the entertainment business, which is fine. It's all good in the hood because he's in the entertainment business, but the movies don't they don't connect with me. But this one. This one does really connect. It's a well-written, well-put-together, well-acted movie. Kamal Nanjani is... He's going to make himself a star off this. I really, really feel that. This movie is getting... It's getting great props. Let's hop on over to the good old tomatoes right now. And we are going to see what what the pertinence is. The movie runs for 119 minutes. It is, it is a bit long, but it's good for the most part. The... The flick has drawn in $16 million so far, which has to be considered a success for a indie-type movie like this. It stars Kamal, Zoe Cannon, Holly Hunter, uh, Ray Romano, and it was directed by Michael Showalter, who you might who uh, you might know from the great MTV comedy troupe, The State. I I like The State. Oh, I like I like all those dudes. Anyway, he he directed this, and the movie is is really great. It's so it's so heartfelt. I mean, I realize it's like it's heartfelt because it's based off it's based off the real life story, but the two characters have really good chemistry. The two actors have good chemistry and it shows and it makes for it makes for a real sweet, real nice, real good, earnest movie. I 
I enjoyed it a lot. I don't I don't have like a ton to say about it because it was just it was really good. I recommend it. I think that I think that it'll play just as good on any of the popular home formats of the day. You know, your beta, your VHS, your laser disc, or whatever as it will on the on the silver screen. I would recommend going out and seeing it at the movie theater. The the theater is always a nice experience, even when you got people kicking your seat, and even when you got kids walking around and doing whatever. It's still still always fun to get out of the house. I, at least at least in my estimation. With with all this said, I think that I think I'm gonna go ahead and give this one a good old three point five mics. mics. Three point five mics. At the movie lightning round. We don't do this very often, but now is the time. We have a at the movies lightning round where I try to talk about a few movies all within the span of not more than a few minutes. Let's let's get started. The first movie I saw that was uh, not like at the theater was The Belko Experiment. The Belko Experiment is a tale of an office gone wrong. A bunch of dudes are hired in a uh, office type position in Colombia, the the country of Colombia, and then one day the whole building shutters up closed and they are told that they have to kill each other and that only the last person left alive will be allowed to live. It's written by James Gunn from the Guardians of the Galaxy fame and I myself am a fan of horror survival movies like this. I like this kind of thing, Green Room, etc. And I thought this one was pretty good. I enjoyed it. It was super violent and super gory and everything you would expect from a movie like this. What I what I understand is that James Gunn had kind of wanted to write a whole sort of a series like this. It's kind of a, something like The Purge, I would see, because at the end, you are led into other tales of the uh, Belko Experiment universe, and I don't know if the movie's ever going to get any sort of a sequel. It made $10 million off a $5 million budget, so it is possible. I would like to see it. James Gunn has said that he has this written all the way through, so... You never know. The next movie that I saw was a movie called Band-Aid. It stars, was written, directed, and produced by Zoe Lister-Jones, who you may or you may not know her from this show Life in Pieces. It's a, it's a sitcom on CBS that I do enjoy. I'll admit it. I like a CBS sitcom. It's all right. Zoe Lister-Jones plays a, she plays a lawyer who is married to Colin Hanks, who is kind of a shiftless inventor type, and... The story follows her whole family, but at any rate, she's the uh, she's the star of that show, and she wrote this movie, and it's about a couple who, they're married, and they fight all the time, and they decide to take that energy from fighting and to form a band, and to start doing songs about their fights. It was, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I do, I do like Zoe Lister-Jones. I first saw her in New Girl, where she played a Fawn Moscato, who was, she was like a city councilwoman, real uptight city councilwoman, I thought that think that she's funny. I like her. So I wanted to see her movie. I saw it, uh, saw it at home on VOD. I thought it was, I thought it was all right. It is one of those Apatow style comedies in that it's funny, funny, funny. And then they hit on something super serious that kind of takes the air out of the room. But I thought the funny parts were good. And I thought that the serious parts were good. It's not like the greatest movie of all times. I would give it maybe maybe three mics. Oh, I forgot to say the Belko experiment. I'm going to go ahead and give the Belko experience experience 
3.5 mics. And then I saw this movie called The House. It has Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler. Remember back when it was like if Will Ferrell came out with a comedy, you knew it was going to be funny. Well, sadly, those days are not uh, as in effect as they have been in the past. This movie was, it was not that great. The story is that they need to pay for their kids' college education and... They decided to do this by building a casino in a friend of theirs' house. And it was it was alright. There were some yucks. I'm not gonna say that I didn't laugh at times, but overall it wasn't it wasn't great. I thought it was cool. I mean, anytime you get Will Ferrell in something, you know you're gonna you know you're gonna get some yucks. And you know if you got Amy Poehler in something, you are definitely gonna get a few giggles here and there. And I I did get some laughs, I got some jokes, and I'm not gonna say that this is not worth seeing at all. If you get to catch it on, like, HBO or Cinemax or wherever it winds up, then, you know, by all means, watch it. You'll definitely get some laughs out of it. I think that overall, I'm going to give it, like, two stars. Wasn't wasn't the uh, best movie I've ever seen. There were far too many parts that were way too, way too not funny. Like, they tried super hard to be funny and they just didn't work out to be funny, I guess. I guess that's the failing of all comedies. And then... And then I saw the failing of all comedies that, you know, turned out not to be funny. Then then we went to the Artie Farty Theater and we saw The Beguiled, which is the latest from Sofia Coppola, who you might know from Lost in Translation and The Virgin Suicides. She's a she's a favorite of the wife and minds. She she loves Lost in Translation. I think that might be her favorite movie of all the times. And I I have it up there as well. I think that I would give it like four and a half mics. Maybe I don't know if it's like an all the way five mic classic, but it very well could be. I have a I have a movie poster for it hanging in my hallway. So I mean it could be that I think it's a five mic classic. But this is this is a civil war tale that stars Nicole Kidman and Colin Farrell and Elle Fanning and Kirsten Dunst and a few other young ladies. They find a wounded Colin Farrell. He is a Union soldier, and they are Southern Bells, and they find him in the woods wounded, and they take him in, and over time, like, all sorts of, like, sexual tension and stuff happens, but then, like, toward the end, it takes this totally creepy, disturbing turn, and I I thought this was a good movie. I was thinking about this. Spider-Man, I enjoyed, but it's already fading from my memory. It's already, like, moving out of my brain into the area where if you ask me something about it, I could be able to pull it out, but it's not anywhere near anything that I think about like movies I enjoy. And I think that this movie is going to wind up like somewhere in not necessarily the front of the movie area, but I think that it's going to wind up in the movie area somewhere. It was only like an hour and a half. It plays super short, super fast before you know it. Crazy things are going on, and it has a real horror movie style ending. I think that if you asked me to classify this in like the Sofia Coppola list of movies, this would have to be, you know, off toward the horror end. Now, don't don't compare this to the Belko experiment by any means, but it does have like this uh, creepy, disturbing ending, and it's uh, I enjoyed it. I'm gonna go ahead and give it. 3.5 stars, and I think that that ends the end of Lightning Round.
made it this far. It's time for the final segment. The Icy Robot Radio Pop Culture slash Toy slash Other Boring Stuff Informational Moment. All right, we are back for what is the final segment of the show where in which I talk about like toys and stuff and other things that you might like also TV and random stories from life. I don't know. Uh, this is the final segment of the show and I am, I just got back from the dig and I was the, the, the old wife had the, has the whole week off and I also have the whole week off, but the poor baby got sick. Baby, uh, 2.0 got sick and that, that stopped us from going anywhere. So we're just like, what can we do? That would be, like, different and interesting. And we said, well, why don't we just go to the dig every day and see what we can do? So we've been going to the dig every single day. And it's been pretty fun. It's weird. You you start to become, like, a dig person after a while. And I'm kind of moving into that mode right now. But we were there. We were there today. And when we were, like, going through the bins, like, when they did a run. That's what they're called, runs. When they bring out the new merchandise. And they... they had all the stuff out, and I was going through it, and there was this woman next to me who was, like, as big and very similar in build and appearance to MMA fighter Gabby Garcia. Look her up, and she was a shout-out to Gino Vega for that reference, by the way, BTW. And she was lined up next to me, and she turned and hit me with a rib, a uh, elbow, rather, to, like, my lower back, like side rib region and man it hurt like a mopo i i got weak in the knees for a second i managed to i managed to no sell it and keep going but for a second holy criminy it uh was something it was the single hardest blow i've ever taken at the dig i seriously got like weak in the knees for a second this woman is a beast she's a monstrosity she's bigger than me wider than me stronger than me and she just caught me with this elbow like like she was Christine Cyborg Santos <laughs> and I was I was stunned but don't worry your boy's all right your boy's back in action he is he is good to go and let's see what else is going on right now is Comic-Con I've never been to Comic-Con and I don't think that I ever will it's just like it's way too crowded for me I don't think that I don't think I could handle all the crowds and all the heat and just everything. It's cool to get all the news and stuff. And I think that, I think that it would be fun in a way, but just, you know, the crowds and the waiting and the heat and just the whole thing. It's not my cup of tea. I'm extremely content to sit home and read the news. And something that came out is that the uh, Noah What's-His-Face, the dude who writes Fargo, the TV show Fargo, which is... Really great. If you don't watch that, I highly recommend Fargo. There's been three seasons so far, and each one has been fun. I cannot recommend Fargo highly enough. He is going to be writing a standalone Doctor Doom movie. I mean, to me, that's great news. Doctor Doom is a terrific character. He is arguably the best character in, like, the entire Marvel Universe. He's a villain who wants to take over the world, and the catch is, if Dude took over the world... It might be better off for it. His own country is a bit of a dictatorship, but it's a very nice place with uh, great test scores and nice schools and all that stuff. So 
we're going to have to wait and see what that's going to be about because they haven't been able to really like nail down any of these Fantastic Four type characters yet. But let's just hope that let's just hope that this is going to be good. It could be. It also seems as if Ben Affleck might be out of the Batman universe. And that's a bit of a bummer because Batman versus Superman wasn't a good movie by any means. But the parts of Batman in it were pretty interesting. And I thought that Affleck's take on an old Batman was definitely something that I was looking forward to seeing more of. I'm not like a big Ben Affleck fan or anything, but the guy is a good actor and he did do a real good job of pulling off this Bruce Wayne Batman thing. And it seems as if he might be moving on. There's some like Comic-Con scuttlebutt that the studio might be deciding to go just like in a whole new direction after Justice League comes out with a Younger Batman, I don't know who they would cast. I, I'm so bad at this with these. Army Hammer, I don't know. Uh, Paul Levesque, who would be a good Batman? Let's, let's think on this. There is so many young actors out there. You need somebody who's like brooding and young and... What is that? What? What is that? Can you guys hear that alarm? Emily, what is that? That's the proximity alert I put in place in case the Corinthian army came looking for us. Holy crud, is it, is it the, the, the Corinthian army? Hold on, I'll run a scan and see if it's there. No, it's not the Corinthian army. Well, that's a relief, I guess, but who who is it then? It's the Space Pirates. What in the heck could those dudes want? How many, how many ships are up there? What are they doing? Can, oh, can you turn the alarm down, please? Yeah, sorry. Cool, thanks. Can we can, can we see how many of them there are and, like, you know, where, where they're located and stuff? Yeah, let me print out the satellite data for the area. There are four total ships and they are sort of just floating right outside visual range. Huh, do you think that, uh, should we, should we try to hail them or something? Maybe, probably, yeah, right? Yeah, maybe. Let me give that a shot. I'm also going to activate the station's defenses and warm up the wave motion gun just in case. Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably, that's probably a good idea. What in the great goodly moodly is going on up here? I was attempting to take a rest after my brilliant performance on the show. And now there is this caterwauling. How dare you? I demand to know what is going on this instant. It's it's the space pirates iceberg. There's like five of them, and they're they're like floating up there. We're we're gonna hail them right now. What do those fools want? Haven't we defeated them enough already? Hail them. Yeah, Emily. Let's let's see what they want. I have been dialing in the proper frequency while you two chicken heads were do the jabbing. Get off my back and let me place the call. This should be interesting. So what's up? Where where are the pirates? I dialed the call. There's no guarantee that they will pick up. It's not like we're friends or anything. Hold on. They've accepted the call. Uh, I'll say something. Space pirates, this is me, Icy Robots, from from the Jupiter moon base. You know who we are and what we could do, so... What do you guys want, I guess? That was good. 
You sounded really tough. Yeah, that was super tough. Hold on, they've opened a channel and are going to respond. You are connected to the Jupiter moon base. Please respond. Here they go. Hello IC robots. It is me. AB Silver. Do you remember me? Because... I... Remember you. Oh my god. He's alive. Continued next week in the Toys R Us Report. Episode 125. The Return of A.B. Silver.